Welcome to uh, 28th podcast. Today we are joined here with Alexander Wienberg and Eric Weyer. I hope I pronounce your names somewhat correctly this time. That That's it. That's it. Happy to be here. Nice to be talking with you, Alex. It's nice to see you again. And uh, well, this is the first chap- chapter of a 28th podcast, which still doesn't have a name. So we hope somebody has figured out a better name for it than just a 28th podcast <laughs> by the time you hear this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we have a lot of clever followers of the magazine that I think we can find something good in time. <laughs> Absolutely. Crowdsourcing is the way of the of the future also when it comes to naming, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, why a podcast then, I think many of you are listening might be thinking of. And uh, well, basically, this is a good way for us to talk about stuff that we generally like, but feel might feel that we don't necessarily want to write about in the magazine. So this is just like the general theme will be fantasy, science fiction, miniature games, of course, and really anything that catches our fancy. And just, you know, exploring it a bit, talking about it, reading a book, stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. I think it seems like it would be a good way to be able to connect more with the community. Obviously, the magazine gives us an opportunity to do that, and you all have been it like responsible for making the magazine what it is so far and we certainly love all the content and input people give but this seemed like a fun opportunity that we as the creators editors and so forth would be able to talk a little bit more about what we're excited about at the moment or yeah what we're reading what we're playing painting whatever just to you know continue to excite people about this general hobby and this 28 style of doing things exactly so speaking of painting and well what we've been doing lately what have you eric been up to these last couple of weeks um so i've been ever since i started like with 40k and stuff when i was i guess a teenager i was always somewhat enamored by the dark angels but despite that and having some kind of mediocre armies of them i never really painted any um and i actually finally some 20 years into the hobby i finally start to paint some dark angels for like a kill team so i'm pretty excited that it might have taken many years but i've finally done it (laughs) (laughs) well aren't all teenagers playing with gray plastic mostly (laughs) i think so yeah, actually, I was thinking of your Dark Angels because I was going to talk about all the like the old lead and metal miniatures I've been painting, but I actually also just finished a small kill team of Dark Angels. And whereas yours are like loyalist dogs, mine, of course, turned out to be, well, fallen. <laughs> Those scum. Well, Luther's still <laughs> locked up in the rock somewhere, so, huh. That's what I heard from quite a lot of Dark Angel fans, but <laughs> it was quite a fun coincidence to see our similar projects suddenly turn up without any planning. Yeah, no, nah, it's 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 nice, and I think the like Primaris Marines and such allowed like easy conversions to make the Space Marines look a little b- bit more imposing. But then 
not feel the need to be too restricted by any of that and just build some fun models and paint them in a way that, you know, stands out and appeals to us. Absolutely. And like the big size allows for much fancier, smaller details to be added on on the primaries compared to like the old, slightly smaller scaled mm-hmm. marines. Yeah, because mine so, yeah, were painted pretty traditionally, although they aren't highlighted quite the same way. They're a little bit paler than the sort of neonish green that some of the traditional ones are. But yours actually have a fairly divergent scheme that incorporates a lot of black as per the Horus Heresy side of things, as well as some reds and stuff like that, which I think is pretty striking and cool and sort of fits with your general aesthetic for painting miniatures. Yeah, definitely in the Blanchitsu vibe of it, with every Marine having his own personal heraldry, so to speak, which might turn out to be a bad idea in the long run because I'm still aiming to get them up to like 500 points army and painting, what would that be, 20, 30 marines in different heraldry each and every one might be a bit mind-boggling in the end, but I'll persevere, hopefully. Yeah, well, it's good to, you know, set your sights and standards high and even if you don't do all of it, like... You know, you'll you'll do probably more than you anticipated, and so yeah, I'm sure it'll so. work out. Absolutely. But uh, shall we move on to the main topic sure. of the talk? So today we're talking about Forbidden Psalm by Kevin Rahman, and uh, for me, uh, well, maybe I should first mention that Forbidden Psalm actually is a game, not a book. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a game I hadn't heard anything about before we, were, we at 28 were contacted by Tanya Floker, who wanted to write a review about the game. And she was kind enough to ask Kevin to pass on a review copy to us for like having a look. And I immediately fell in love with the visuals of it. But on the cover, there was this big uh, saying that says it's comparable to Merc Body which I had heard slightly about but wasn't very familiar with. But you, Eric, might have something to say about Merc Body as you introduced me to it. Yeah, so this, it was a more traditional pen and paper RPG that was funded through Kickstarter and created by uh, Pele Nielsen and Johan Noor. I mean, perhaps I'm not pronouncing them quite right, but... It's quite close. I mean, they're <laughs> Swedish, so it's quite close. Yeah, I mean, being an, an American, I'm not good with other languages. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, yeah, so they created this very rules-light RPG that was very themed around doom metal and sort of apocalyptic themes and just a very dark fantasy setting that kind of caught on quite a bit and a lot of people were excited about it after the initial book was released and they started like a discord group as one tends to do in these days and lots of people started to kind of create their own content around it within the setting and that led to a whole host of things including I think Forbidden Psalm here trying to adapt the gloomy doom-like setting into more of a miniature-based game and yeah 
Forbidden Psalm was sort of the result of that, and they did a Kickstarter for it, but I think you can still get a copy of it maybe through like drive through rpg or one of those sorts yeah, of they're settings. selling it there in uh, at least in the uh, pdf format but i also think exalted funeral sells the physical copies of okay it. okay and yeah the the book it's actually the cover of it was designed by the same artist who did most of the artwork for murkborg uh johan nor and it's very iconic it's sort of a I don't know, sketchy, inked image of this ogre-ish creature ripping some unfortunate in half. And it has like a lot of cool colors and whatnot. And I the think heavy murk body yellow is like the main background color on the on the cover. Yeah, yeah. And very striking, yeah, and very like visually tied together with the murk body visuals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the first things if you look at either the miniature based game Forbidden Psalm or the kind of the initial RPG is just the visual style of it is incredibly striking in which they're like very bright, interesting colors you might not associate with RPGs as much. Like there's sort of like a really bright canary yellow is all throughout it as well as splashes of pink and red and all sorts of diverging fonts and visual styles that create like kind of a visual and assault of your eyes, which is really striking and fun to sort of delve through both of the books to get a sense of what the world is in it. Yeah, it's very much like all over the place, but still in a way that like ties together and, uh, Supra- works surprisingly well. I mean, you, as you describe it, it might kind of sound like, hey, what is this mess? But when you see it, then you understand completely like, yeah, I see what they were going for. And it really works. It really gives this unique feel of of the game and the style. Yeah, I think it is very chaotic, but in a very, as you said, controlled and designed way that allows your kind of eyes to flow through it. And even though like the format changes, it allows you to like pick up on the most important information, like as you go and sort of understand both the rules, which are again, pretty light and minimal, as well as get a sense of the actual world, which is is pretty neat and very I would say pretty unique and I mean whereas maybe some other games are designed a little bit like at this like they really dialed it up to 11 and just seeing both of the books I think would be worth getting a copy just to to see this visual splendor of it all. Absolutely. I mean, I forked out for the latest Kickstarter for the expansion to the game mm-hmm. and really was like, yeah, I want a physical copy of, of both the books because, uh, I mean, as you said, it has this kind of Doom visual to it, but it's also, well, a lovely mix of like Doom and Silly mm-hmm. with all the colors. It kind of reminds me of like the 90s uh, punk and Riot Girl fan scenes. And you kind of see like they're not taking themselves super seriously because a lot of this kind of like heavy, dark RPGs, they tend to be kind of like a little bit maybe taking themselves too, you know, like slightly pretentious almost on the whole like, yeah, we're really serious. This is dark stuff. Whereas these guys are 
you see that yeah the game is serious in a way but it's also very fun and they know how it looks and they know how it like comes across and they'll go with it they're just like yep this is what we're doing yeah i find it has a very good balance of that because it is a super dark world in the sense like the first core rules in the the main book is like a doom calendar that you can roll up and determine how quickly the world's going to end and through it there are all these different uh, prophecies that start to occur that signal the end times and such so that's like a core mechanic that the world is ending but despite all those gloomy doomy things it does have some humor and playfulness about it that i think they threaded the line very well and made it such that it's dark and moody but also very accessible yeah absolutely they sort of self-describe it as like a doom metal rpg and even in the the the, the core rule book they have a huge listing of various bands and musical influence that helped which lots of them are doom metal bands or like sludge and drone metal sort of things which very much kind of fits in the theme throughout it yeah absolutely it gives you this good like this is the sound of the world <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh yeah and uh like moving over to the forbidden song book the the thing that is really cool is when you open it there's just like this small visual splatter of presentation to it and just like hey this is a miniatures game you can use any miniatures you want uh, Raman doesn't have any miniature lines, so that's not he's doing this for just for fun rules. Just a quick like explanation what measuring is. Apparently they use inches. You sorry <laughs> sorry metric heathens. It even like mocks us here, but all right. <laughs> and shortly explain what a dice is, how modifiers work, and then it's just create your warband, which I really love because. A lot of these games, they start out, you know, RPG rule books. They have like ton of background, ton of horrible rules to read through before you get to make the character. And I mean, straight up, I'm not a big RPG player. I don't really get this like whole imagining things. I like my miniatures <laughs> too much to ignore that. But I like the whole concept of making characters. That's always fun, especially mm -hmm. like this old school where you just roll on charts and you're just like... I ended up with a one-eyed halfling with a crippling disease. Mm -hmm. But hey, that's what I'm going to play as. And yeah, here's yeah. the same, you know, you start, you roll a warband, you can roll on the names, and then you come to the stats. The first thing that was first like, I was like, whoa, what does this mean? But it's very intuitive as soon as you start to understand and like check the whole page. I was only looking at one page, so I kind of lost lost it there. But it gives you these stats, agility, presence, strength, and toughness. That's it. And then you move on to, like, flaws. Love that. <laughs> Malnutrition, for example. Wonderful flaw to have. <laughs> A small table of feats, which kind of balances up. And equipment and weapons. And you're almost ready to go. Here, when uh, I've, made, I've been playing this with my family quite a lot, and we really like it, especially rolling up characters can be quite fun because we skipped the whole like gold system and was just like, everything is apparently a, a six or a 20 
these charts, so we just rolled on it. We got some <laughs> really weird characters, but yeah, you know, this is the world of Mercbori and <laughs> Forbidden, so it's yeah, it's fine. You yeah. end up with these really odd ones, but it it works really well yeah, in that I think sense. That's that's fun and kind of like both of the games are sort of in this like old school like revival osr style in which that it's yeah rules light and there are lots of tables and stuff kind of like even games workshop older products like the realm of chaos stuff they're filled with all these fun tables that either generate monsters or weird feats or yeah exactly problems and all this stuff that allows you to quickly generate weird disgusting characters also it, it just serves as a nice way of like world building that you can kind of read through this and get a sense of like what are the things that happen in this place like who inhabit it and such and that i think is a fun while it is helpful for you designing scenarios or characters and stuff just for like mechanically playing stuff it is also helpful for just yeah getting a sense of what this setting is and how you might be able to incorporate into things you're already doing, which I, I think is cool. But yeah, and it doesn't overstay its welcome with having to read page after page of background, like you said, or even page after page of rules. Yeah, no, definitely. And as you say, like they hide a lot of this kind of like fluff and background material in the in the name of, for example, there's a feat called Revolting Appearance, which is actually a feat. So this is like a positive for your hero to have, <laughs> that they're so ugly that the enemies suffer from being near them. And like you have to have a flaw. So you can have like, again, weak hands, poor morale, allergic to metal, all mm -hmm. these kind of like fun things that immediately say like, hey, this isn't a happy place. Things aren't going to go well. You're probably going to die. And if you're lucky, you might live for another week, but then you're going to die. Yeah, and they also have when generating your stats, um, they allow you to kind of like choose one or the other, which might have like some of your stats, like maybe your strength is like a plus three to it, but then you have minus three to another. So they, they kind of, again, try to fit this notion that, well, you're still kind of miserable. <laughs> you might be good at some things, but it's not like, oh, you're just good at all things because that sort of flies in the face of what this setting is with all these downtrodden, miserable people. Yeah, every, every like upside comes with a downside here. It's definitely not like, yes, I'm going to be so strong and so fast. No, you might be strong, but you're going to be slow and... Yeah, there's going to come some fast enemies and then they're just going to bash you even if you're strong. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. I also really like that, for example, there's not a ton of equipment. I know a lot of players love to have like page after page of mm -hmm. equipment to just add, but for me, especially as I'm more like into the miniaturing part of it, you can easily just have like, yeah, this is a club. You might call it a mace, you might call it a hammer. And it's still like just a club. And visually, mm -hmm. you can represent it any way you want. So they don't have too many different equipments that makes it hard to keep track of. It's 20 different weapons, which is perfectly fine, in my opinion, because it gives a bit variety and you can come up with ideas. But 
you're fine in that sense. You don't have to have like 300 different weapons to keep track of. And well, some of them are inevitably going to be like just variations or same yeah, weapon with different names. Yeah, because ultimately it's still like a like D6 or like the various kind of standard RPG dice, D8, D10, that sort of stuff, damage they do. So like it really doesn't matter if you want to just kind of create your own weapon that isn't in there. Like that's fine. Mm-hmm. It it fits this general notion about you can do what you want, but here's sort of a guidance here and some standard things and you can kind of make it up as you go for slight things if something kind of speaks to you or is interesting. But there's a nice foundation here to go on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for example, the crossbow seemed like a perfect weapon to replace a handgun. So we just, since the miniature had a handgun, we were just like, yeah, use the rules for the crossbow. It's close enough. Nobody cares if it's Mm -hmm. named differently there. So in that sense, it's very adaptable, I would say. And I'm pretty sure Kevin would be super happy with people coming up with their own, like, mods to the game. Mm -hmm. It seems to be, like, one of the core uh, tenants, almost, of Merc Body, that anyone can add any weird uh, add-on that they feel should be added. And they can even, like, publish them, which is very unique almost yeah and that's something that i think was the designers was a core thing they wanted like right from the beginning that since it was a rules light thing they wanted to engage the community and yeah they have this like uh Murukburg cult that you can just create stuff send it in and when they they can look through it and if they like it they'll just publish it on their website often uh Johan will even do artwork and stuff for it to like make it even more formal and fit within this sort of chaotic, cool style. So that ultimately both of these and that setting fits pretty well with this just 28 idea of making this I was just going to say like that's crazy 28 if anything. (laughs) Yeah, like make it your own, do what excites you and be creative with it. And like that's, that's awesome. And it... Speaking about the rules that we've talked a little bit about it, one of the other things about it is most of the tests and combat and such is done through a 20-sided die that you have to, to be successful, you have to equal or exceed some like a particular value and the majority of them almost it's almost always 12 yes yes which is quite nice because it's easy to keep in mind like okay you have to roll a 12 and then add whatever modifications comes into play Mm -hmm. so it's it's super simple and then if you want something to be like oh this should be super easy you can adjust that a little bit and that core thing just fits throughout all of it which isn't that dissimilar to even a lot of games workshop games like in general a four plus on a d6 is to do something unless it's really hard or really easy but this has a little bit more granularity but fits on this 20 scale and 12 or above and the rpg murkborg uses it's exactly the same and honestly it uses the same uh, strength, agility, those same stats, and most of the content and like how you generate warbands is very similar between the two. So they obviously kind of inspired one another, wanting to keep this simple system that allows a lot of creativity and depth while not 
forcing you to spend a ton of time on like the generation or like oh I need to cipher through this rule book to find out how to deal with this like no no just just play the game yeah definitely and uh the fact that it's so like has this d20 is a really nice way to play because uh, usually, I mean, for example, the Games Workshop games, it's usually a D6, except for some of the newer, uh, like, uh, side games they have. Mm-hmm. But the D6 is such a limited scale. You only have six options, really, to get. So moving it up to a D20 allows for more, well, game mastering, so to speak. Like, hey, yeah, you can modify this down or up, depending on how likely you feel that... Uh, something should be and they also as pretty similar to a lot of like rpg stuff they have like criticals and um critical fails or fumbles like if you roll a one like Mm -hmm. you pretty much fail and if you roll a 20 you like succeed in a spectacular fashion but the fails also often have pretty hilarious things like dropping your weapons and if you're trying to do like some sort of magic spell it can result in like horrible catastrophes that just like obliterate you or like blind yeah, you were... or all these crazy fun things that again is characterful but also sort of builds in this world of how crazy and dangerous magic can be which which is just fun cuz it's this smaller scale and not super competitive or anything it's just trying to tell a fun story within this interesting setting yeah i don't think you could use this kind of rule for competitive play because they leave so much open to the players to decide and adapt so it it would be hard but then on the other hand i don't think most games are very well designed for competitive play so (laughs) it's perhaps not like not a problem here and as you said, also on the like the magic mistake table, it's r- quite disturbing to read. Actually, There's the caster's fingers split open and they get a bleeding condition. You're just like, God, <laughs> this is some really disturbing stuff. Uh-huh, actually, yeah, Hid- hidden behind a layer of humor, of course. No, and that that's fun. And as I kind of mentioned, that a lot of the rules sort of correspond between them like there's a similar thing that a lot of sort of arcane catastrophes that can happen in the rpg that can could slot right into these these ones have been redesigned slightly to to fit more concretely with miniature rules but Mm. since the whole thing is about doing your own thing and adapting i think having both of the books to like merge together to allow you to pick and choose stuff just to like really get into this fun chaotic weird world is is fantastic and yeah since they're set up in such a similar way it allows you to freely mix those things in the best way i think yeah i mean definitely i i strongly believe you could buy almost any or download or whatever any uh mod for Merc body and quite easily adapted to Forbidden Psalm. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm looking forward to the Fisk body uh, expansion for Merc body where you go fishing and add yeah. it to the miniatures. My son is a keen fisher uh-huh. and I really want to play a fishing game with him. Yeah, that's So that's we'll see that one day. 
Well, yeah, and if you just go to their their website for it, they have lots of fun additional kind of expansion stuff. Like they actually have a thing for black powder weapons that was fairly mm. recently released, and I I wouldn't surprise me if they can like explode in horrible ways and whatnot, which is you know part of the fun and chaotic yeah, absolutely of everything. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of cool stuff there. Um, but importantly for like Forbidden Psalm, it, they kind of take that and give a whole host of monsters and such. But also, I think most importantly, they have like a series of maybe 10 or so missions that are kind of structured in a general campaign that you there's a particular wizard who is like trying to get you to search for these Forbidden Psalms and it does a good job of essentially showing how you can adapt this setting and world to a fun rules light miniature game and to have additional like people you're playing against as well as sort of like NPC monsters and such that also go in there and include a bunch of like little RPG elements of stuff you can read to get you in the mindset of what's happening here, which is really fun and it does again a nice job of just showing how you can honestly take almost any setting and incorporate it into like a rules light miniature game which i think is fun and more so than a lot of games i think it really fits with this like we talk a lot about this 28 style of gaming and like every 28 style event or whatnot be it something like that you've run um or mm. other people are like anna from gardens of akate all of them will tend to use different systems and such but we are rarely that focused on the rules and be more in tune with just the spirit of of the, the games and such and this i think does a good job of kind of finding a nice balance there that's showing like you can adapt the setting and have some light rules and narrative things and then make a bunch of scenarios to have a fun campaign that honestly I think it would be good for doing 28 style games even if it's in like the 40k setting or like a fantasy setting I don't think it matters that much yeah, exactly. And uh, I think having the missions being like placed in a story instead of just like, hey, here's a bunch of different scenarios you can play is quite a brilliant idea because it's easy for, let's say, like somebody who's never played a miniature game before. It's much easier to pick up and be like, all right, first I'll play one, then two, then three, mm -hmm. rather than having to just roll and then suddenly getting a quite you know difficult scenario to play. So in that sense... You progress, you get a little bit of story, not too heavy, just a little bit like, hey, read this to get into the mood. And uh, yeah, it, it makes for a much easier start. And then it's easy also to see like, okay, yeah, I want to do this scenario again, but hey, let's just switch the monsters a bit and stuff like this. Because at the end of the day, miniature gaming is much lighter when it comes to like missions and stuff to do on in the game compared to a role-playing game. So it's no good to have this kind of like easy structure to follow and then you can easily see also how it should be adapted. 
Mm-hmm. Agreed. And I almost like feel that like if you go on to like blogs like Gardens of Hakate, how they have like Anna had done some stuff like monstrous births and some of these sort of narrative little campaigns that she'd put mm-hmm. up on that blog which she would use different systems like ad- adaptations of Malifaux or um, other systems like and that can maybe seem a little bit archaic and like how do you do that whereas I feel this yeah. is like a perfect encapsulation of this style of gaming and this is a nice simple way of putting it this is a campaign I cre- like that uh, the author had created and showing you how to go about it as well as having a system of kind of tables and such that you could kind of randomize some scenarios to give you like a foundation to work with. And I think it's just a, honestly like a great resource to help people who are sort of new to this and are like, well, wait, what are the rules? Like, what's the rules for this? That ultimately I don't think matter that much, but it just gives you a nice foundation of where you might start, but still being very focused on what is the narrative, what are you doing, and not being so focused on like, oh, how many victory points did you tally up and stuff like that. Definitely. And I mean, most people who ask about like, hey, how do you play these games? They're drawn in because of the visuals. Like, hey, they see it on Instagram or in 28 or on our blogs. And they're like, hey, wow, this is cool. Can I do this? Then they ask about the rules. So basically like, hey, Build your miniatures. Here's a super easy rule set. Use this. It's really like much easier to get started this way rather than saying like, yeah, we use Necromunda. But hey, we don't use Necromunda from 17. We use Necromunda from, I don't remember when in the 90s it was published. And we also had stuff from from Inquisitor that came out in like 2001. You have to get that. Then it's a completely different system and a little bit of Mordheim. And then we have this <laughs> long list of stuff. We just mentally know how it works. Yeah, or like, and we don't really remember all those rules, but we think we do. So it kind of gets merged together when we're actually in the same room and we kind of make it up as we go a little bit. Like, so... Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that... It's really hard to like yes. explain, like, hey, yeah, you should do this super hard way. We do because we're kind of in tune at this point, like how we want to do shit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, much easier to have like, hey, check out this. They also has a good... Uh, there's rules for playing Warband against Warband or Warband against Monsters. And speaking of the monsters, as a dad, I just have to point out, it's incredibly cute that uh, Kevin has had what I believe are his daughters to draw here, two monsters. There's Animal Cultist by Cora Raman, aged 12, and Great Maw by Ada Roman, aged 8. And I think that's adorable. That's I want to see more yeah. of these kind of things in games. <laughs> Less this like, oh, but what about the fluff? More like, hey, my kids drew this. It's in the game. Deal with it. I yeah, think that's yeah. like perfect. No, th- that is really fun. So yeah, it's. I, I think this is like possibly the game we're gonna use. I hope we're gonna use it when uh, we play Outguard Three sometimes uh, in the spring, as uh, the expansion that I just actually downloaded today also includes uh, rules for mounts, since my warband in that game will be riding on wild boars. <laughs> what, and, uh, what's I, the expansion called again? 
Ah, damn, it has a weird name. It's okay. not an easy name to remember for me. Let's see, I have it open here in a separate window. Uh, Forbidden Psalm, In the Footsteps of the Mad Wizard. Okay, okay. Now, as somebody who loves marketing, I think it's a bit of a mouthful, but hey, he's <laughs> done everything else weirdly, so I think it's good that he's sticking with his guts and going for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, that's, uh, that's fun. Yeah, I've also been speaking a bit with Kevin, trying to see what he's coming up next. And he mentioned that since uh, Merc Body is doing this cyborg, like futuristic Merc Body or science fiction, he's also going to adapt that to an expansion. Oh, and that, I think that's that might be like the best idea for any Inquisitor 28 kind of game to just mm-hmm. use. Well, I mean, you could adapt this, but having a game that's even more thematically fit, I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So it it's 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 really good, really fun. I think just within the spirit of the stuff we value at twenty eight, the magazine here, and just generally like from miniature based war games. So I think it's something I would certainly encourage people to go out and get a copy, download it. Like, um, as was mentioned, I think through exaltedfuneral.com, you can actually get a physical perch version of it, which is, is which pretty I cool. Which I think it's almost worth getting. I mean, you support Kevin for making the game. And, uh, well, I like having a physical copy at the table. It looks much better than having an iPad or a computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The one thing that I kind of wish this game would have is this old like 80s 90s rpg style where you got the whole box with the rules and all kind of counters and cards mm-hmm, for all mm-hmm. the equipments because i love having small cards to remember actually what what kind of equipment my yeah, warriors yeah. are carrying but that's a small like personal you know wish rather than anything i could say this could have done better i think this is a wonderfully made game and especially since I think he's done, well, a little bit of input from the community, but I think most of the work is done by Kevin himself. So I mm. think it's a stunning achievement. Yeah, no, nah, it, it, it's it's great and it's fun. I'm glad to see people doing stuff like this. And yeah, I would encourage people to uh, look into that as well as just the core RPG as we stated because there's i feel there's so much overlap there and inspiration you can derive from that as well and they even just on uh the murukborg website they have some like random like computerized generators to generate weird eccentric characters as well as like dungeons and even different types of monsters which is is cool as like a way that you could supplement this if you're trying to create weird miniatures or scenarios for like your campaigns of this. It's a fun way to sort of jumpstart ideas and such and just randomize some of the tables that are essentially already included in these books. So really worth worth the time to look into it. Absolutely worth it. I think we could actually start to round up here before it gets way too yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll be back with another episode soon-ish, maybe next month or so, depending a bit how this whole like fall turns out. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much to everyone who stayed with us through the whole podcast. 
And if you have any suggestions for something you want us to take a look at, something you're excited about and really would like to, you know, spread the word about a bit, then, you know, you can reach us on Twitter, you can reach us on Instagram, you can reach us by email. So just, you know, get in touch and we'll take a look at it. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Happy everyone for listening and just, you know, spending the time to continue to get excited about this hobby.